Okay. We're here. We're back. This is Wednesday. It's 9.30, Wednesday, March 4th. Um, I felt like an idiot yesterday because I, for some reason, I don't know, I must have got some bad intel. I went to go vote yesterday. And, you know, I live in Rhode Island. But I must have thought that I still lived in Massachusetts <clears throat> because when I went to the voting place and I opened up the little envelope they give you, I saw some names I didn't recognize for city council. And I turned the paper over. I was like, there's nothing else here. And I went to the lady. I go, hey, um, why aren't the presidential candidates on here? And um, they're like, you idiot. That doesn't happen here today. So that was me yesterday. And I basically just voted for some, whatever the first name was. Um, <clears throat> if he went, he's probably going to win and become the worst person ever for Rhode Island. And it's going to be my fault. It's going to be all my fault. So yeah, there's that. I felt like a complete moron yesterday, but um, I'm here. I'm here and it's better to, to uh, ask the question and be stupid for a second than for a lifetime. So that's what I'm just going to keep saying. I'm just going to keep saying that to myself while I get ridiculed by my wife and family. You think I'm stupid. Um, so I am flying down to Richmond today, getting ready to go do some shows with the boys. Let me bring up the calendar here. Excuse me. So Bethlehem, PA, Buffalo, New York, Pittsburgh, Kent, Ohio, Rochester, Syracuse, Fairfield, Connecticut, Concord, New Hampshire, Rockport, Massachusetts, Shirley, Massachusetts for some reason, and um, Port Washington, New York. So I didn't mean that, Shirley, sorry. I was just, I was copying a comedian. So we're doing those shows and I am just hoping and praying to God that this baby stays in the oven. That, that sounds so terrible. This bun stays in the oven for at least that time because it's stressful. It's like one of those things where you're at eight months and like that, that baby is ready to go. It's just getting, you know, a little, this is, you know, we're going to stick with the cooking metaphors. It's just getting all cooked up and well done, ready for its big day. Um, so that's stressful. Hopefully we make it to, to the due date um, because, because I don't, I want to be home for it. <laughs> um, in other news, today's guest is Jordan Berger and he is, he resides in Nashville, Tennessee. Everything's cool down there for Jordan. Um, but if you've seen any of the pictures of the devastation of just how absolutely horrible and terrible that tornado was, and I, I, I think, I don't know, I think it killed like 20 people or, or, or and I, don't, I don't have the exact numbers of, of anything really in front of me, but man... That's crazy. You just have so many friends down there and it's just it's just it's just terrible when something hits kind of hits home like that and um you know 
just wishing the best for all the people down there in Nashville, um, all the uh, families that lost people and um, that lost, lost property. And I was, I mean, you can check on the, the carbon leaf um, Instagram, but it's like, there's a picture of all of us right, you know, next to one of those believe in Nashville um, mural things. And we're standing in front of the basement East, which is a venue that we played. And then Jordan sent us a picture of that same venue completely destroyed, completely destroyed. It's like, I don't know if it's like, what do you do? What do you do in that instance? I mean, it's like, just, I guess you just get shelter and, and hope for the best. But I mean, that's the scare. That's, so so scary and so many people went through it and um you know people that have been on this show liz longley um you know jordan this uh this week's guest brian dolly rachel beauregard you know there's others and it's like it's crazy man it's so crazy um that you know something like that can just happen and it can you can't control the the weather and 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 um, these types of things and like where it lands, it just lands, and it's so so scary. So count your blessings. If there's anything, um, if you know anyone down there, if you can reach out and help anyone or uh, anything like that, just do what you can. Do what you can. Offer some support. Um, but thinking about Nashville and all the people down there and everything that they've gone through in the, in the last few days. So, um, yeah, here's to a quick and robust recovery of the city. Like I know, you know, these people down there, it's going to rebuild. It's going to, it's all going to happen. They're all going to bounce together. I mean, for, for a place like that with how many, you know, artists and great people, they're going to, and how much of a community is it is it's going to band together it's going to be it's going to be better than ever so um just uh yeah thinking about you guys so what else what else i don't have anything else i had yesterday i was going to release this yesterday and i had a whole intro recorded out and then um and then we got all the the news about nashville and um I was like, well, I can't really do that. So next week, um, next week is going to be like a question, question answering episode. I got some really, really great ones, but yeah. Anyway, on to today's episode to bring it back up a little bit. Uh, Mr. Jordan Berger, Jordan Berger is Carbon Leaf and many other bands booking agent. If there's any episode to listen to, if you're somebody in the music industry and you are wondering about booking and how it all works and, or if you're like a young musician and you want to figure out how to take it to the next level and how to like, you know, I think the making it in this business is what we're talking about here today and the things that it takes to do that. So this is a very educational podcast and I hope that everyone, uh, everyone enjoys it. Um, Jordan is fantastic. Like I said before, he lives down in Nashville. He, he, um, is part of the, um, booking agency Madison House which books massive talent all around the world and we'll talk more about that in the episode but without further ado we're going to get this going Jordan I can't change 
how did you get into into the booking stuff? Like, is that was music a big deal for you? So um, when I uh, when I was in college, I went to Emory University in Atlanta. Oh, okay. It's actually how I know most of the six man folks. Really? I, um, I didn't realize they were based out of Atlanta. Or yeah, Atlanta. yeah. I uh, I grew up in New York, and then I went to school at Emory in Atlanta. Uh, okay. A bunch of music industry folks. Uh, Mike Luba went to school there. Um, Craig Brock, who's an agent at ICM, and Mike Luba is my CEO at Madison House, and Buster Phillips, another agent at William Morris. And uh, I grew up in in Atlanta in the '90s. I went to college, and my first band was Evan and Jaron. Who, okay. um, uh, they lived on the campus, uh, on the edge of the campus at Emory, and um, I used to just uh, book them for fun. Mm-hmm. Made quite a good bit of commissions in my senior year, and said. I could do this. Like I can make a yeah. living doing this. Yeah, and so I added an artist named Angie Aparo, um, who uh, is wrote the song "Cry" for Faith Hill. He signed oh, wow. to Melisma Records with Matt Serletic, and so I had two artists with labels. And um, yeah, and some of the six man folks, uh, Andy Levine and Rodney Stammel, uh, who are, Rodney was the original booker of. Uh, the rock boat okay and um and they were good friends of mine and a lot of the production folks like carrie glennon and dave scruggs who run the big theater stage that you guys played on last night good friends of mine and uh jesse khan who runs the pool deck stage um just great friends of mine from the atlanta days that's uh, awesome and um yeah it was really fun and so i started out booking bands just for fun i was going to study to be a lawyer and you're going to study to be a lawyer yeah i was in i was a political science major and here we go then uh, i just decided i didn't want to be a lawyer every every um lawyer that i knew and that was working for said you don't want to be a lawyer really (laughs) and so was being a lawyer something you wanted to do like really early on i just uh no i was just good at negotiating and you know contracts and things like that and my stepdad was a lawyer so i was working for him throughout high school and college and um just kind of delivering papers around New York yeah. City courthouses and whatnot, and and everybody I'd meet and he would talk to would say, you know, please don't don't be a lawyer. It sucks. You don't <laughs> like it. And then meanwhile, I was booking these bands for fun: Evan and Jaren and Angie Aparo. I had a band called Soup. Uh, I was the first agent for Derek Trucks Band. Yeah, um, before really? he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've uh, I booked about a year of Derek Trucks dates before, when he was just a kid. And that's awesome. What kind of venues singer. were you booking? It was just clubs. A lot of clubs. You know, I was twenty two-year-old kid in okay. Atlanta just trying to figure out fake it till I make it. So you're just trying like calling clubs and just yeah. trying to cold call and get That's anything? basically what I did. Evan and Jaren uh, were, uh, they had a pop hit called Crazy for This Girl and they wrote out the speech and they were trying to book themselves and, and they would say, call Eddie's Attic and call 12th and Porter and call um, Cumberland's in Charleston and yeah. and read this speech and just say, you're our agent and you know I'm their agent and I need this date and I need this money and I would spread uh, spread sheets around the floor of like these giant calendars and put little uh, you know dates and venues on oh each yeah, yeah. And spread out all around like the courtyard where i lived and calling people and writing uh you know dates on a sheet and mm-hmm. writing up my own contracts and um chasing down my own deposits i was pretty much a one-man operation for mm-hmm. most of the late 90s and um it was really great it was a really great learning experience then all of my bands kind of got record deals at the same time i had a group called edith's wish that was managed by Simon Renshaw, who uh, managed the Dixie Chicks for many years. And mm-hmm. uh, there was these five African-American girls from Nash- from Atlanta who sound uh, like a bit like Black Crows kind of thing. Oh, man. And they signed to Arista, and they were awesome. And Ar- Evan and Jaron got a deal with first with Jimmy Buffett through Island Records and Margaritaville Records, and then switched to Columbia. And Angie signed with Melisma, which was through Arista. And so uh, everybody, you know, I just felt like a bit of heat 
um, coming down, people trying to check out my artists and mm-hmm. uh, just felt like I needed to learn something. And so I moved to New York. I joined a company called Pinnacle Entertainment yeah. uh, in 97, 98, um, which was a pretty fairly heavy metal agency. Okay. Uh, I got to sign Kid Rock with uh, John Dittmar and Scott Sokol. It was a really fun time. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. I booked Kid Rock from clubs to arenas from uh, Florida to Minnesota and Michigan. And oh, man. I got to book him in small clubs and got to go to Woodstock 99 with him. And this might be a dumb question, but are they like booking a small club? for whoever or booking like a giant arena for kid rock like well at the time it just was the numbers first, are bigger or just or at, just like you know at the time we signed him it was uh he was complete unknown he was just signed to atlantic records jason flom had just signed him okay there was a showcase in new york city uh, i like to tell it we went to uh sir studios in manhattan and um and we were sitting in the in the recording in the rehearsal studio and it's just uh, my boss, John Dittmar, and Scott Sokol was a senior agent, and I, and Vicky Wenzel was another agent there. And um, I'm blown away by your ability to remember all these names. It was great, and uh, <laughs> it was really fun. And so the door opens in the middle of Times Square, and Kid Rock comes galloping in on a horse, and Joe C., the, the little guy, yeah, comes yeah. galloping in on a pony, and Jason Flom is, like, laughing on the couch with his giant gold chains, you know, like, wait till you see this, and... <laughs> And Josie jumps off the the pony, and he just gets in our face. Are you ready to rock? Yeah, that's awesome. And kid, you know, jumps off his horse. My name is Kid. Yeah. Oh man, it I was haven't amazing. heard that song in a long time. Yeah, and this was his showcase. This was his first showcase for agents and teammates, and and we got to sign him. And I was a territorial agent uh, from Michigan, so I was just booking okay. the small clubs, uh, you know, just like the shelter and um saint andrews and okay. clutch cargoes and it built up and up and up until you know a couple of years in he was playing arenas and um it's crazy it was amazing and uh it was a really really fun time and so i got to book a lot of stuff like that um the agency was fairly heavy metal centric they booked a lot of pantera and guar and white zombie and it was awesome slayer fear factory i could go on and on and on yeah. um but eventually Metal wasn't really my thing. Okay, I wasn't really fitting in there. Uh, I was there for about two years, and you know, I was singer songwriter, alternative rock kind of interests. And yeah. So I went to a company called the Agency Group uh, in New York. I was there for about ten years, and they had a lot of great rock bands like Creed and Nickelback and the White Stripes and the Black Keys. And uh, I sort of randomly became the singer songwriter guy over there. I got to sign Mark Cohn and. Los Lonely Boys, Kevin Costner, Duncan Sheik, Will Boys. Hogue, um, really band, a uh, great band I've always loved called the Cat Empire. Okay, uh, I signed some folks, uh, Katie Herzig and Titer, and uh, just a lot of great fun stuff. Um, and uh, does it get, is it super challenging to book for so many people at the for all these different? It venues starts and, off and challenging. Keep, keep things kind of like all together because it sounds like there's a lot of moving parts. It's a lot of moving parts. Always, it kind of over 25 years of doing it, it just kind of sinks into my brain. Yeah. Uh, in the 90s, I had this weird, perfect memory of being able to remember everybody's phone number of every band and every club around the country <laughs> and every promoter. I wouldn't have to look at any up anybody in the Rolodex because you just it was a way of you were always on the phone. There was no real email yet. There wasn't right. a lot of that. Right. And so I just. 
dialed the phone so many times, my fingers just knew everybody's yeah. phone number. I remember when, when we were kids and stuff, you had to remember all the phone numbers. Yeah, exactly. So there's no speed dial on the phone or exactly. no like, memory. You nope. could have like a, like a Rolodex or whatever, but when I was a kid, you didn't have that. Exactly. It's just like, I have to remember this person's number. So Yeah, nobody knows anybody's number anymore. But I know. back then I knew everybody's phone number. And um, and now it's kind of the same way. I just know everybody's calendar. I could tell you Carbon Leaf's tour schedule for the next twelve months, like without looking at it. Really, you know, and that's crazy. It's just wild that I just, you know, I've you spend so much time booking these shows and day after day looking at Google Docs and spreadsheets, and now it's you know instead of papers on the floor spread out around me, I have you know a an array of Google Doc tabs open on my yeah. computer. And, yeah. Um, there are probably 25, 30 acts on my roster. There are about 300 acts in the company. Uh, but there are only about 10, maybe 12 acts ever touring at any one given time. Okay. Uh, so at times it can be a little, uh, you know, jumbled. But mostly you have, you know, like the 10 that are on the road right now. You know the 10 that you're working on six months from now. Mm-hmm. Six of them are on the boat right now. So I don't I have too much to worry about. So you have us. You have. Uh, I have uh, Carbon Leaf, yep. Red Wanting Blue, The Alternate Roots. Uh, I have a band, The Unlikely Candidates, that mm-hmm. are uh, doing really amazing right now. And then we have a stowaway, Stephen Kellogg, who Adam Bauer books Adam, from yeah. our company. Yep. And uh, and then John Bell is an agent we recruited to our Nashville office a few months ago, and he represents the bones of J.R. Jones. And so, um, yeah, we have six of them on the boat. The six-man folks have always been just so good to me. And, can, uh, can, like, being on the boat in itself, even beyond those six artists, can that be, like, good for you maybe to find another artist to pick up or sign and, or book or whatever? Uh, sometimes it depends on the moment. Actually, um, when I was on Kayamo 10 years ago, that was where, um, I have discovered Delta Ray. <clears throat> okay. Um, I was with, uh, I was with my wife and son just having dinner and, um, uh, actually my son was a baby at one at the time. And mm-hmm. I remember, uh, Katie Herzig was, uh, one of my clients on board that year. And, um, I gave her bass player, Claire Indy, plays a cello. I gave her like 30 bucks to go and sit in my room and watch a movie and hang out with my baby for an hour so I can have dinner with my wife for an hour and a half. <laughs> That's incredible. And Delta Ray, who were like paid customer fans on that boat, walked up to our table and just started busking and singing and yeah. uh, playing at the piano, like in the in the restaurant, you know, just for fun. And yeah. we were like, oh, you were great. And so I signed them there. And uh, a lot of it's really just about relationships that I've made over the years. You know, yeah. you, you spend a lot of time hanging out with people. Uh, I've worked with Emerson Hart from Tonic for many years. And, oh, okay. Um, I'm not working booking him at the moment um, because APA books Tonic. Uh, okay. But Emerson's always been a good friend. And, you know, and so you get to know, like, just great people yeah. um, throughout the boat. It's the really nice to see just folks. Like remembering people in those relationships it just make, makes such a difference. Yeah. You know? And like it's I said, hard. Um, it's hard when you know a lot, so many people. Yeah. And like I said, it's nice to get to know the industry people of the boat. Yeah. So, you know, I've known Jesse and Carrie and Dave who run the production stages forever. And, yeah. um, you know, it's nice to hang out with them and they give you tips a lot. Promoters give me tips a lot. Uh, Tanner who books the boat, um, Tanner and Trey, Tanner mm-hmm. Smith and Trey. Vedder. Um, they said, uh, last night that, um, Tanner was saying that he loved Emily Wolf. Caught her set? I caught her set last night. Yeah, like, I haven't seen her yet. Kind of the tail end of it. She rocks. Oh, cool. It's like they played Hot for Teacher as the last song. The drums have that, like, you know, double bass kind of sounds like a motorcycle thing. Nice. They had that going. Her guitar playing was phenomenal. Cool. 
It was great. I, so Tanner was raving about her, and I haven't seen her yet. So yeah. I don't know if she has an agent or anything, but I'll go and check her out. And yeah, I'd say that's that's one to definitely yeah check and, out and see um, what's going on. The SCR guys I know don't have an agent. They've called me a few times. Okay, and we've talked, and you know, there's only so much time in a day to take them all on. But that's yeah. kind of how you get to see people. And I I like to be social and just meet people. And yeah, um, my mom was one that was like a constant social butterfly needed to know everybody in the room and yeah so i just have a way like uh you know my wife doesn't always love it but i like to walk up to like everybody in the restaurant and <laughs> yeah how was your lunch how was your dinner you it's know great. can i hold your baby <laughs> tell me about your life <laughs> tell me about your band kind of like you do as the interviewer yeah kind of i'd like to be social and just talk to everybody and yeah best do my best to get to know everyone i'm doing my i'm doing better than i used to i used right. to be like really nervous to go up to people and talk to them randomly that if I didn't know them, it always just felt like the first day of school to me. Right. So I'm just like, now that, you know, it's my second rock boat and I, I know a bunch of the people on it, it feels way more comfortable. I feel like I can kind of just go and be on my own if I need to, but like have a bunch of people that I can meet in the hallways and stuff. And it's yeah. really cool. It's, yeah, such a it's cool so experience. nice. It's such a great camaraderie here. I love yeah all that about it. And um, so yeah, it's been a really great experience. Um, I was at the agency group for 10 years and, uh, and then eventually just had kids and had to get out of New York. So and is Madison house something that, that you started with someone else or? So, um, Madison house been around for 25 plus okay. years now. Um, Mike Lubo, I mentioned, I went to college with mm -hmm. and Nadia pressure, our CEOs and Jesse Arito. And they, um, they started Madison House with Jeremy Stein and um, Kevin Morris from who works at Red Light now, and uh, they started Madison House in the late '90s as you know an independent booking agency. Uh, they were originally based at Athens, Georgia, and then they really moved to Boulder, Colorado, which is our headquarters. Okay. Uh, I was in New York. Boulder, for, Colorado is the headquarters. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, we have a hundred people out there. We have Madison House Presents and Madison House Agency. And, okay. Um, so I left New York in 2010. In 2012, actually, in 2010, I left the agency group. Okay, joined a company called Fleming Artists, which was uh, another folk. Oh yeah, agency. I, know, I know Fleming. Yeah, yeah, and that's that was uh, Adam Bauer and Jim Fleming and Susie Gang were yeah. in. Because um, Stephen Stephen was with Fleming. Stephen was with there for many years. Yeah, parted but came back. Knew that we were a good agency to be uh -huh. with. And no, um, I remember I remember that whole thing going down. Yeah, and, he briefly <laughs> left. Um, but um, Adam Bauer was uh, running the shop up there, mm -hmm. and they opened a New York office. I took over New York, uh, or I started a New York office for them. And it was fairly singer-songwriter-centric agency. They were doing well with Ani DeFranco and Gregory Allen Isaacoff, yeah. Jodowitz Sprocket and Glenn Phillips, um, Colin Hay from Men at Work, things like that. Yep. Uh, I wanted to start a little more of an alternative area of the business for them, yeah. um, Americana and Southern Rock. I signed things like Civil Twilight, um, who were on Wind Up Records. I signed um, a bunch of random American Idol winners came to me. David Cook and Chris yeah. Allen approached me. And you don't and, you um, work with Nick Fradiani? And Nick Fradiani okay. came thereafter, and I also work with Caleb Johnson now, who all okay. won the show. Um, and that's when I met Carbon Leaf back in I guess 2010, 11. Yeah, and picked them up. Um, but I just had enough in New York. It was time to get away. We moved down to Nashville. Uh, we had our second child before we moved, and the market was crashing. The housing market was crashing. New York yeah. was just a, kind of a soul-draining experience at that time. Um, there's just no time in the day to be with your family. There was yeah. no money to pay the bills, you know, uh, for daycare and 
my parking garage in my apartment building was a thousand dollars a month. What? You know, the daycare for the kids was a hundred dollars per child per day. So that was like four thousand dollars a month. It was just kind of, it was that's impossible. Out, that's outrageous. Yeah, it was just really impossible coming up subway stairs with a stroller and groceries and a baby. And yeah. it was just all too much. So we moved to Nashville and uh, I worked there. Uh, I rented space from different uh, publishing houses like Big Deal Music and stuff. Mm -hmm. I was a solo uh, person down there. And so I had a stipend to find office space and um, we just were doing great. We were expanding really well. Fleming artists started doing really well. Um, all my bands started doing well. Adam's bands were doing well. Susie's, Gregory, Alan Isakoff was taken off. And uh, we found ourselves uh, nominated for Polestar Independent Agency of the Year. And Madison House was as well. And we were all just kind of, you know, hanging out. And yeah. um, Jim Fleming was seeking to kind of wind himself down a bit. He's in his 70s. And, uh, and Adam created this sort of merger with Madison House uh, where we were all essentially offered uh, jobs uh, to come in and bring our roster in over to Madison House. And about 65% of us uh, agency and clients came over there. Um, and good. yeah, and that was in 2016. And so I started a Nashville office for them in 2016. And things just have really blossomed since then. Um, a year ago, we hired three more agents and four assistants we have four off four dogs now in the office as well. <laughs> we took over uh, Grimey's original record shop above okay. the basement, renovated the whole space, and uh, now there's eight of us in there. And what was that space that uh, we did all those meetings in that one time in Nashville? You that was called no. Industrious. That's like a shared workspace. Shared like workspace kind of thing. That was kind of when I was still by myself. <laughs> okay. Um, back, I guess that was in 2017, maybe? Yep. And so then in 2018, we just continue to expand a lot of the major agencies have been merging mm -hmm. uh with those mergers some wonderful agents get uh you know are duplicated and yeah. uh, are a little bit left out in the cold that's sometimes you know yeah the beauty and the curse of working in uh the major world of major labels and major agencies it's such a bigger larger corporate financially successful right. experience but also when things are not going well you quickly get showed the door yeah you feel it and they they're not they're not hesitant to trim the fat i guess exactly so that goes for bands and that goes for agents as well and so there are loads of wonderful agents and wonderful bands out there much like everybody on my roster that does wonderful business for me um mm -hmm. that might not be playing arenas but are selling out five hundred thousand cap rooms and are making a wonderful living every day and touring yeah. hard and have worlds of fans and you know you see it in your theater shows and when you're yeah. packing out the national and just because you're not selling out madison square garden doesn't mean your career is over we definitely have enough stuff to fit into madison square garden sure you do that's for sure you sure do but uh we definitely have built uh, a roster of wonderful artists that have careers yeah. i've i've grown over the years to love working with bands that are confident in their headlining abilities. Mm -hmm. I love working with bands that are desired by festivals um, and that are desired by art centers and um, small theaters and fun events, special events, corporate yeah. events. My Basically it has to be somebody that's like willing to grow and, and that already has some kind of establishment and then working forward, you can kind of take them over the sure. top. And at any level, I like to say to bands when I'm signing them, I'm not looking to, much as my bands get tours all the time, yeah. I'm not looking to constantly beg 
larger agencies for that chain smoker support slot. Mm-hmm. If those, if that's your goal, then you should be there sitting on the shelf until you get that. And usually those bands get really frustrated and eventually leave when they don't get that. Right. If you have a massive, massive hit, all the things fall into place no matter what agency right, you're at. Right. Um, the Unlikely Candidates are ex- an example as their single keeps rolling up the charts. I've booked tours this year with agents from William Morris, UTA, CAA, APA, Paradigm. We all work together <clears throat> when you're when you have a, a, a band or an entity that people want everybody wants to work with you yeah if your band is worth no tickets and is not getting radio and doesn't have a record deal and doesn't have a team it's really hard to get a tour no matter what agency you're at and so i tell bands often like even if you're a new band i'm not necessarily saying you have to sell 500 tickets before Mm -hmm. i'm going to express interest but if i come to see your show show me that there are 75 people in the front row singing yeah. really really hard cuz you have to be excited able, about you yeah i mean that's the best feeling but you have to be able to um, tell me if i'm wrong or not you have to be able to see or take a band to like a talent buyer or a promoter and be like all right this band i think can sell however many tickets here you know maybe get them on a bill with this band or this band and then that way we can kind of grow it yes you know but also they have to be able to impress the people on the other end of the line okay so oftentimes if i'm pitching four bands for a festival and the promoter gets excited about two of the bands but the other two bands quickly moves on past because he hasn't heard it or she hasn't heard of them i'll still explain and pitch but there's a bit of an awareness that you have to be doing on your own in that market. The, yeah. Then it's on the band, the responsibility of the band to work harder and try to get exactly. themselves into a position where they can, exactly. someone can say yes to them. Just because you're selling out 400 tickets in Santa Barbara, doesn't mean that you're going to get Bonnaroo right. um, in Knoxville, Tennessee, or in, right. you know, in the areas of uh, the country that if you're not, getting airplay or if you're not selling tickets they're not necessarily aware of you uh i similarly if i come and scout your show and it's in a hundred cap room and it's packed to the gills but i look around the room and everybody's talking really loudly because they're there for their high school reunion party or they're there because you know aunt sally and uncle tommy are supporting your show um they're not really fans they're there just because they want to be supportive of your business that doesn't count to me I'm looking for the fans that are losing their mind in the front row. I'll yeah. often kind of walk to the that's side a re- that's balcony. That's a really good area. way to put it. Yeah. yeah, I'll often walk to the side balcony area and I'll look around the room at uh, the people who are singing along and trying to see, like, look at the smiles on it's their like, faces. Is there a vibe here? Is there, is there a passion? Here? Are people really, really pumped about this band? And how many of them? And is the band doing a lot of the things on their own to get themselves ahead? Mm-hmm. Um, are they working social media properly? Do they have any clue what they're doing with social media or with streaming or with distribution, uh, with marketing? Do you have a publicist? Do you have a radio promoter? Do you have any marketing teammates whatsoever? Yeah. Do you have a manager who knows what they're doing, who could help be a buffer to, you know, to help explain a lot of the things that aren't necessarily my job or, role you know how job often, description. how often do you work with managers of bands uh i try and work only with bands that have, have managers yeah. and labels and teammates because there's so much in this growing modern way of the music business that uh relies on streaming and new technologies and you know 
as Facebook has gotten to be a more older demographic where people are more interested in scrolling through and clicking likes about baby pictures or beach pictures, family trips, political messages, it has nothing really to do with the show. Mm -hmm. Instagram has become a little more focused on uh, promoting music in a way, not mm-hmm. necessarily promoting it, but there's a little more interactiveness with well, your fans. There's so many cool, like little videos that people put out of just yeah. like, really cool things they're doing. And sometimes it'll, it can, those posts can like take off for sure. And even now, um, you know, as new technologies come out, like things like TikTok are yeah. really important. Um, have a, a Grammy nominated band, Southern Avenue, that is doing so well for me. And TK, our drummer, she's constantly uh, uh, putting like those TikTok four square videos up where she's kind of looping piano in one and drums in another, and, yeah. you know, uh, guitar in another and singing in another. Those are cool. They're really cool. And, you know, those are the things that sometimes help break some artists. Um, you know, different artists uh, like Sean Mendez uh, broke up it on one of those social platforms. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's just a matter of learning all the constantly new and evolving technologies and being able to be creative and be first mm-hmm. um, in using those technologies. And now brands are even more, um, you know, involved. I just did a deal last week um, with Ford for Southern Avenue. Oh, okay. And uh, the same company did an Acura deal for Nick Fradiani. That's right, yeah. And, um, you know, it was great. And it was all just about, like, shooting a little footage and, uh, you know, putting it on socials and put some money in their pockets. And uh, it's just really helpful. But you have to kind of have, with branding and with sponsorships and whatnot, the first thing they look at is your social numbers. They want to see the analytics of what target demographics are you hitting. You need to know that this is worth it for them. Because if you're putting money into advertising or or whatever, any kind of deal, it can't be just a one-way street. It has to be... Exactly. Everyone has to kind of get something out of it. Exactly. And it's really important for um, bands and marketers to both be aligned and to, uh, you know, have the same goals in mind um it's really important for bands to have teammates who can help bring these opportunities to them so it's not always just the agent so you know a lot of bands struggle at times if they just tour 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 and don't take time to record and release music or don't um you know, take time to do other things like work on socials videos yeah videos video content is so important um we talk. I talk about this constantly with the alternate roots. They get really upset with me because they have. <laughs> I think they have hit after hit after hit yeah. after hit. They're a great band. They're an They're amazing band, great, but great they band. do not release enough videos to support all the wonderful songs they yeah. make. I uh, feel like I, a lot of bands have maybe one or two people in them yeah. that are like the guy that's always has the camera out, or the yeah. guy that always is thinking of like how can we put something. Those out bands here. always get ahead. They always get ahead. Yeah, and the ones that are you know touring. All, like I mean, you just said it, but sure. it's like to reiterate: if you're not putting yourselves out there and thinking of of your music as like a brand or a business, you're gonna have a tough time not thinking of the other end of things rather yeah. than the creative end, which is just as important. But you need to have for both. sure. I often encourage my bands like you're on the road all day, every day. Take a moment and film, not just like the nonsense of the breakdowns, which are also fun, yeah, um, you know, and like the silliness of the truck stops, but also like 
if you have a day off, go to the roof of some of your hotel with a guitar and, and film, sing a song and or, sing a song. Yeah. Uh, I have a band called Waker, and they when they uh, go to Belmont or Vanderbilt parking lots and they mm-hmm. film like parking lot videos. That's cool. Um, they uh, uh, Delta Ray last year went to iceland to film uh some you know uh, one of their music videos two of them went and came back and filmed it on their own for a thousand bucks you know that's awesome there are just ways that you can be creative on the road with whatever um you know assets you have yeah because uh, there's time there's plenty there's there's plenty of time usually plenty of time there's plenty of time you should be doing things on the boat this week you know yeah. there are jam sessions that you can do with other band members yep. that you can film and put up there are, you know things like the six man sessions or these you know cabin sessions that bands yeah. record are really great to just kind of put up on socials even if it's not an official release you never know what's going to kind of break out from your social uh, work and a lot of the like the less known or lesser known bands on the boat it's like in their benefit to get to know the other kind of for like, sure bands at that level not just try to like get on a tour with you know need to breathe or carbon sure. or whatever but it's like to learn from each other do like show swaps like you come and play in our city for our audience and then we can play in your city exactly. for your audience and try to grow things that way but i i'm constantly seeing but I don't know which bands they were, but other bands having people with them that just have a camera, they're filming everything. Even everything. if it's mundane, it's, B, sure. it's B-roll, it, you can put some music over it, and then you can add in For some sure. kind of performance element, like guitar on a roof of a hotel or yeah. something. So I have an so artist... I have an artist named Kavehi, who I absolutely adore. She's from okay. She's from Hawaii. She's a looping artist. She lives actually in Lawrence, Kansas. Really? And uh, she's just that's a big know, that's a big jump. Yeah, from Hawaii to Kansas. She <laughs> uh, she moved from Hawaii to L.A. to be part of a like a girl pop group that was signed to a major deal like ten years ago or so, fifteen years ago, and she just got trapped in a bad record deal. Okay. And when she got out of her deal, she did a Kickstarter campaign. She made a bunch of extremely creative videos. Um and she ended up asking for thirty thousand dollars and getting three hundred thousand dollars like multiple times over. And um she's just incredible and so she has hundreds of thousands of social media followers her videos are a lot of cover songs but a lot of original songs and each of her videos are really creative she's got this video called anthem where um the box comes off of her head and is looping and then she puts another box on her head and her head's in like six different boxes on the table interesting doing six different parts um that's really she's got that's creative yeah and it's so creative and it's built this really amazing infrastructure for her where she gets requests from all over the world from Brazil and Sweden and Guam and Singapore and San Francisco and Utah and she gets special events all the time for you know five figure requests all over the world she gets uh, tech conferences she made an Intel TV commercial that aired during the Grammys and the Super Bowl a couple of years ago she found she found the niche and the right people yeah just making her husband is a videographer and music producer and she sits on her bed with like her looping toys and her pug and her uh, other so dogs cool. and and um, just makes cool, fun videos walking down the street in Lawrence, Kansas. And mm-hmm. every day she makes like really great videos and the videos have thousands upon thousands of views and awesome. things start to break <clears throat> up and take off. Um, Unlikely Candidates are another example with their new single Novocaine. They put it out and uh, the single started bubbling and they put out the video and YouTube analytics 
um, said that everybody was watching the video straight through, awesome. and so went into that's YouTube hard. That's recommends. Hard to do. Yeah, to, to so, get people to watch a video all the way totally. Through. And so I'll, I don't know if like I've showed so many or shown so many people videos of something, and then you're like, you know, it never, it never, their reaction is never what you want it to be. Yeah, you know what I mean. But when you have something like that, and someone grabs the phone and For holds sure. on to it, and they're like, watch it all the way through. That's how you know it's something like. Yeah it's something special. Yeah. And so that video has been going really well and, um, mm. instantly it started getting a hundred thousand clips a day Man. where, uh, you know, it came out and it had a couple of great reaction. All of a sudden we turned on the, you know, the internet one day and we saw it going up a hundred thousand <laughs> every single day. Now it's at like 15 million views in just a few months. Jesus. And, and the song is quickly going towards number one. And, it's just a wild thing. And to go back to the camaraderie, they played the other night the Rockboat pre-party with Red Wanting Blue. And Red Wanting Blue didn't know the Unlikely Candidates. The Unlikely Candidates didn't know Red Wanting Blue. And I talked to Scott and Red Wanting Blue, and I talked to Kyle and the Unlikely Candidates. I said, you guys got to meet each other because you have a really hot single and you have tons and tons of fans on the boat mm -hmm. and y'all should be friends. You've yeah. got a good fitting band. Like this and, helps everybody. Yeah, and you might not run in the same circles of modern rock uh current radio chart formation right but you both are alternative rock bands and you one of you has tons of fans and one of you has tons of current radio and y'all should just make friends and collaborate yeah. who it's knows like, what can happen it's like why can't you see what i see <laughs> yeah and i'm not saying go on tour together for the rest of your life i'm yeah. not saying you got to make a record but, yeah. but you call have to each other up to jam on the rock boat and yeah. make friends you have to make the most of your opportunities especially on the boat like when i was playing with steven on the first rock boat i met carbon leaf yeah and or i met carter and then you know and one thing one thing always kind of just leads to another for you know? sure and and it's great so um yeah, I gotta I gotta check them out. The unlikely candidates. They're really fun. Are they, they playing play, today? They play today at uh, on the sports deck this evening. Okay. And then they play tomorrow in the atrium. It should be a really fun one. We have a uh, some fun surprises planned there. Yeah, it's been really great. So we've been doing really well in Nashville. Um, Madison House continues to expand. We're hiring more and more agents. We have loads of uh, loads of great bands. And then we. Um, we have this wonderful uh, extension of our company called Madison House Presents that's based in Chicago. Yeah. Boulder. Yeah, it's interesting. What What is that all about? They're, um, well, so Don Sullivan and again, Mike Luba, they run the Madison House Presents arm. Uh, Alicia Carlin is uh, one of our uh, talent bookers and she works for AEG um, division and she and Don and everybody, they created the Electric Forest Festival, which is in Michigan and just an incredible, wonderful time. Big festival in the woods, trees lit up everywhere. And um, we manage and book String Cheese Incident and mm -hmm. we book Bass Nectar and they headline every year. And uh, Bass Nectar, I've, I did a gig at, at um, it was in Providence at Lupo's and now the Strand, but Bass Nectar was there and, and I got to like play drums along with along with uh, the DJ and everything. Oh, it was, nice. It was pretty crazy. That's wild. It was awesome. That's those, wild. Those guys, like, those DJs, like, headliner DJs, yeah. and you watch those parties and stuff, and it's just absolutely insane. It's wild. Yeah. It's like, you could never have that kind yeah. of thing with, with like, a singer-songwriter or something like that. That's it's wild. just, like, completely crazy. It's so fun. So, yeah, the Electric Forest is a great, great time. Yeah. Highly encourage everybody to come. Yeah, totally. And, um, and then our office out of Chicago promotes concerts for a lot of 
kind of like what we book a lot of confident headlining artists that are not necessarily beholden to the ways of the music industry if yeah. you will so we promote concerts for mumford and sons and chance the rapper mm-hmm. and radiohead and bob dylan and uh Maren morris and you know they got a lot of those kind of really cool artists and yeah I love Matt at Madison House, uh, just the coolness factor of a lot of the things they do. We um, we program Forest Hills Stadium in Queens. That's uh, Mike Luba's department in New York. Mm-hmm. And um, and they refurbished and, uh, you know, redesigned the Forest Hills Classic Stadium in Queens, New York, and do a whole amazing summer concert series there. But um, at both Electric Forest and Forest Hills Stadium, there are these little, like, hidden speakeasies around the venue, okay. these little VIP rooms. You go through like the backstage area and then you go through the special porta potty and you open the back door <laughs> of the porta potty and you come out into this really unique room really cool and you spot. have a key and a code and a password and it's awesome. and, uh, and a coin. Like and if you have all of like the tools in your pocket and uh, you get to go through the final door and oh then my all God. of a sudden you're in this amazing, cool speakeasy. That's incredible. And so those are kind of like, uh, Nadia likes to say we do things the madhouse way. It's like uh, escape it's room meets music exactly yeah exactly and so there's just a lot of really fun unique things that our company does and so we have a management division as well in boulder we manage keller williams and jj gray and Mm -hmm. Fro. we manage string cheese incident uh we have a really hot band called bombargo and um the common heart and uh and so we have a you know a good developing management division but primarily we're a booking agency i'm from the booking side of things and continuing to expand nashville we're continuing yeah. to hire we have a few folks that we're continuing to chase down and yeah well the thing i really like about you guys is like you are you are booking you're a booking agent but you have all these insights into really management that you know bands need and ideas and stuff and i think that's cool i don't know is that something that other agencies do or put put any kind of stock in i think it's been both a positive in my life and a negative in my life in okay. how much I care about my bands. Okay. Um, I work with a lot of bands that I fall in love with musically and as people. Yeah. And, um, you know, sometimes to the detriment of business with the major agencies and with the major labels, like we said, if things don't really blow up really quickly, they quickly drop you. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was at the agency group, one of my senior mentors told me that if your band is not making from going from $1,000 to $10,000 within about 18 months, it's not really worth your time and you should let it go. Wow. If the growth is not that fast, when you sign your band, this is what he would say. He said, when you sign the band, you should sign them with the feeling that this is going to pop within the next six months in a massive Billy Eilish 21 Pilots stadium kind of way. And if it doesn't break a year after that, if it's still at that thousand or two thousand dollar level, you should drop it and move yeah. on. That's kind of the major agency mentality. I have come and gone from jobs over the years because certain artists I've grown attached to and felt that even though they got up to making ten thousand dollars a night, they didn't get up to fifty thousand dollars a night. And yeah. I wouldn't let them go. There are a lot of acts that I think are wonderful that make two, three, five thousand dollars a night or sell a few hundred tickets a night that I think are really amazing bands and have careers and have fans and should continue to tour. And a lot of times managers as well will part with their artists if they haven't hit a certain level of business. 
a lot of the bigger managers at Red Light or, you know, some of those bigger companies might similarly say, I have to let you go. You haven't hit this marker yet. Yeah. I, because other bands that are hitting that marker, then they need to focus on, on those bands. They got to focus on themselves. Yeah. Sometimes <clears throat> I, I tend to just dig in harder on those bands and, you know, I sometimes maybe get into arguments with my bands because I'm trying to coach them to get themselves ahead before the industry completely turns their back on them. Is this a hint, hint? No, but <laughs> I, you know, I have a lot of bands that, um, I just booked a tour for Chris Allen and David Cook is a good example. Yeah. I booked Chris Allen like and David like Cook David in Cook. Europe together. Yeah. And I booked Will Hogue 15 years ago in Europe uh, for his first tour is another good example. When these artists sometimes, as we did for Carbon Leaf attempted last year, mm -hmm. sometimes bands say, I've never been to Europe and I really want to go to Europe. I would love to tour Australia. How do I do that? And if you don't have a European agent because you don't have a record deal over there and you don't have a marketing team over there, the great majority of European agents and promoters will say, it's not really worth it. You don't need to come here. Yeah. Nobody's coming out to see you. We don't care. Yeah. But if Chris Allen and David Cook, who are very important clients to me, say, I've always wanted to go and tour Europe, as Carbon Leaf said last year and as other bands have said to me over the years, if they want to go, I love them and I will figure it out. Yeah. People in Sweden speak English. I might not speak fluent Italian, <laughs> yeah. but I can go on a website. I can go on Polestar and look up a tour schedule and look up a city like Rome or Florence or Hamburg or Berlin or yeah. Paris and see a list of who's playing in which clubs and figure out what are the bands that are of a similar mindset or demographic. If I see Stephen Kellogg is at some sort of club in you know on a tour i look up that club i see a lot of other bands and contact with a k yeah. still means contact to me in america yeah and so i click it and i send in a polite email and i figure out how to knock them down the same way i would a random person i haven't spoken to in indianapolis yeah and so i figure it out for those bands and sometimes that makes me a little less money and takes up more time to I think do it something makes, that's not necessary. I think necessary. it makes bands want to want to try a little harder because you're you're going the extra mile. Sure. So the other band or the band will take, you know, take a, not exception to that, but they'll they'll follow your lead and really work hard sure. to get this thing to where they need it to go. Sure. Well, I think that that <clears throat> comes with it. There are a lot of clients I love, Chris, David, Carbon Leaf. You know, that don't have managers. Yeah. That my business acumen would say, don't work with bands that don't have managers. Yeah. Don't work with bands that don't have record labels. They're not getting farther ahead necessarily. But I look at all of you and I say, you have talent, you have fans, you are a great band. Yeah. You're in your 30s, you're not 70 years old. There's still life ahead of you as a yeah. touring entity and as a band making music. And I'm gonna help you figure it out. Um, and I don't get paid as your manager, yeah. but I tend to often be the only industry person on the team. Uh, it's not probably the the smartest way the for ideal. me to, to book million dollar bands, yeah. but I'm really proud of all the bands that I get to work with and how 
hard they work and how well they tour and how many people come and see them every day. Yeah. I love walking around the rock boat and seeing fans come up to you guys and stop you and yeah. say like, I love your band. Yeah. Uh, you know, yesterday I was walking up to the Unlikely Candidates show and some random fan in a spacesuit grabbed <laughs> the bass player, you know, who people don't always know the, anybody but the singer. Yeah. I love when I see someone grab the drummer and say, I saw you guys last night in Miami yeah. and it was amazing. Yeah, it's awesome. I saw you with Red Wine and Blue, you know, even better when they're like, I saw you because I went to see someone else and you guys blew me away and I'm coming to your set later. Yeah. And that stuff inspires me. I love when I see my bands get little special opportunities like Southern Avenue getting uh, a Grammy nomination or a Blues Music Award or, uh, you know, things like, um, you know, just different minor awards that bands may get best band in richmond it's still something you know yeah uh and those bits are really exciting to me my brother is nominated for two grammys this weekend really you know yeah he's uh he's in iron and wine uh, and um he's uh he's an arranger he scored the the morning show trailer for apple tv and oh my god he's got a whole slew of movie and film i not know about this i don't know got a Look him up, Rob Berger Music. <laughs> yeah, uh, I will. But Absolutely. Uh, he did the the arranging of the strings and the keys, and he plays keys on the Iron Wine Calexico record that's nominated for two. Wow, that's Grammys super as cool. Well. That's super and cool. And so, like little bits like that make you know they they make you proud. Yeah, it doesn't. I don't book my brother. He just, but I'm psyched and I'm proud. And that's amazing. You know, I don't get anything if Southern Avenue wins a Grammy, but it's an amazing excitement right well, now. Well, you get that to I'm, say that one of my bands won a Grammy. That's a big, I'm that's honestly a big deal. excited about the nomination process. So, yeah. Hang on one second. Yeah. Let's see what this is. Who we got here? Hi Barry. <laughs> Gotta come in. Yeah, he can't he can't text set lists on the boat, so he has to hand deliver them. Nice. Yeah. Okay. All right. How's that set list looking? Good set list. Yeah. Got Set for a pool party. What oh, what have you learned? I haven't done that one in a while. Do you got some cool special guests coming up today? Um, I don't know I don't know if we do. Why does it say lead is the Lido stage the the um, I think that's the pool deck. That's the pool deck. Yeah, that's where it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. What have you learned? Alcatraz, learn to fly, two agent truckers, ragtime, she's gone. Cha- wow, this is, I need to, I need to do a little work. You got to practice? <laughs> I'm looking uh, to pawn my kids off if you need uh, no, no, replacements. No, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so for a band like Carbon Leaf, yeah. can you take me through or take us through the uh, kind of, technical nuts and bolts because we book about a year out yeah i love it is that is that normal it is not normal it is wonderful okay uh one of the incredible beauties uh and quirks of barry is how wonderfully detailed he is Mm -hmm. uh with his data and his planning Mm -hmm. um it can be a detriment to your ability to get a lot of festival work because festivals want you to stay out of the market for like two years. Right. Which doesn't really always work well for a band like yours. Yeah. Uh, you guys are at a stage in your life where a lot of your fans would like to see you on weekends. Yep. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday shows a little bit are really important to you. Yeah. Um, and there are certain markets that are extremely important. Seattle, Denver, um, 
Richmond, obviously, D.C., right. yeah. Boston. There are certain markets that Carbon Leaf crushes in. Yeah. And um, it always fascinates me, like, when you can crush on the East Coast and then also Seattle. Like, yeah. Seattle is incredible for us. So. Yeah. Well, that was one of the markets <clears throat> that was, I think, huge with radio back in the day. Okay, yeah. Uh, with the yeah. Katy Perry video and all uh, that yeah. kind of stuff. They have always just been really, Barry's just always been really detailed mm-hmm. in an amazing way. <clears throat> you know, it goes back again to bands without managers will often say to me, uh, can we fill our gear? Uh, I stress this with many of my artists, some of which are on the boat, where I say, lay out a plan for me. Yeah, I cannot just throw darts at the wall all yeah. year round, year after year, and have you feel that you're constantly touring. Yeah, there has to be a plan, because if you're just trying to constantly tour... you're if you're there's no rhyme or reason to it. There's no it rhyme or reason. You just want to say, that's like you wanting to just say that I'm a professional musician. Correct. Like no matter how good or definitely bad it's going to go. Because you'll play a venue, like say if you play Seattle and you do okay, if you're a small band, um, there's just more people, maybe you have more friends or family and stuff that lives there. But then the next date, if you're heading back east, is Spokane and you're not going to have a good time there. Right. And it's like, that is going to be the majority of your time as a small band is playing in front of 10 people right. in a small venue like that, in a small town like that. So it's kind of in your best interest to come up with a plan and really hit the markets that you know you can steadily in, you know increase your your base and exactly and stuff. create well, a foundation. To have a strategy around touring, to have a strategy around music releasing, um, going places where you know people will come. It's fine to try new markets that mm. you think, hey, we've never been to this city, but I feel like my analytics tell me this is a good spot to go. Yeah, There once was a time where you can, 10, 15 years ago, I could call a venue and get a Saturday night two to three months out yeah. and route a tour on three or four months notice and boom, it goes up a week later and and you roll on. And I still do that sometimes. Yeah. But you find more and more that if I ask for Saturday, April 25th here in January, they're going to either tell me it's not available or they're going to tell me it's like a 16th hold, which means so like 16 it? other bands have called okay. first. Gotcha. The hold process yeah. means that another agent or another band has called that club say, uh, you know, any one of any agents or bands will call the club and gotten their name first in line. And so if they tell me, oh, you're a 16th hold, that's pretty hard to clear. Yeah. If you're a third or fourth or fifth hold, you could probably sometimes clear it. At which point they send an offer. If I decide that I want that specific date, I'm ready to confirm the offer you've sent, all our haggling is done, all our negotiating is done. And that is the one and only date I want. I challenge and then I say, I challenge you to confirm that date for me and get rid of everybody else in the next 24 hours. And then they go down the line one by one and they call that agent or that band and they say, you have to confirm it or lose it. And yeah. you have a day to decide. And they wow. might be holding seven dates that week. They might have their name on seven different dates. So it's not okay. always like such an emergency for some. For the same venue. For the same venue. They gotcha. might be holding the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and it might be the Monday that really routes for that other band. Right. So they say, okay, you can release it. I'll get out of line. Okay. You know, I'll step out of line. You can go is basically yeah. the, the procedure. And then sometimes they 
get to the front of the line and they say, you're cleared. Sometimes you get all the way from 16th to a second hold and then they write you back, sorry, you didn't hold someone guy, ahead of you. The guy in front of you got it. And then you're just screwed and you got to go find another venue or pick another date. Okay. That happened to me this morning on this Red Wining Blue Tour. I saw an email as I was walking up here that a date I thought I had, I didn't get. Uh, and now I got to go to a different date and that's okay. I'll figure it out. Interesting. But that's kind of like the... Uh, but just booking a year out, like put you in a better position to get those holes. Get well, like a so first that's or... exactly where Barry has really wonderfully laid out a plan for me. A couple of years ago, he laid out a plan for me in like November, December for the year ahead. And we were already like ninth holes behind yeah. as more and more bands have grown smart about the internet and mm -hmm. streaming and younger musicians are more and more savvy and don't always need the industry anymore yeah. to help them through. They know how to reach people. The contact information is on venue websites. Booking is not rocket science as much as it is just, uh, you know, time and processing and having a bit of sense about you and smarts, yeah. street smarts in a way. Yeah. And so what I love about, so what happened in that November year is we noticed we were like ninth hold and Barry couldn't believe it that year. <laughs> wow. And we were fighting, I remember, and I was saying, you know, I don't know what to tell you. I, like, we're booking a year in advance here. <laughs> and so the next year, you know, last year we started in like September. Wow. And by Christmas time, the whole year is done. And now when I talk to my other bands and I say, look at what Carbon Leaf is doing. Look at this entire year is booked and done. Yeah. And when a band comes to me like now in January and says, I want to book a May tour, I and can we get a Saturday night in May? Can we get a Friday night in May? I say, so let me show you this tour I just not. booked for Carbon Leaf that shows you all of these venues are booked throughout all of 2020 mm -hmm. that's just one of a million bands and they're ahead of you and you're not in that game you know of those so other bands what does a band do if they're in you well that's the whole point of having a smart band or a smart manager who has a plan who says we're in the studio now we're going to for sure put out a single in May we're going to for sure put out our record in August here's a September December, December tour I want to hit these are the 20 cities that are really really important to my band that should be these certain cities should be a Friday night this is our hometown like you know we want to be in Richmond on a Saturday night it has to be our closeout Saturday December 19 yeah. on alley the more you can plan and strategize the more it makes my life easier to deliver what you're looking for yeah those bands that wait until the last minute and then are like, we just want to play because we have nothing on the books. Yeah. Those are the ones that tend to struggle. Yeah. So Carbon Leaf to me is amazing in that you know your audience, you know the rooms you want to go to. Barry is very, very specific about knowing when he wants to record and yep. put music out. You guys, he's really, really diligent about getting you guys into the studios on breaks. And he's good about helping me lay out a plan. And yeah. that makes... My life world's easier. It is certainly complicated. You know, every band has their own complexities and you guys have set times and, you know, opening act complexities that everybody's got differences with. Was the set but, time changing to 8 or 8.30 difficult for a lot of these venues? Because I know that sometimes they want to have it later so they can sell more booze or whatever. Yeah, it's difficult. It's an argument with most every venue because... Um, it depends. The art centers are usually flexible. They like you starting at eight. They yeah. have an older crowd and they get it. 
the rock bars that you may play, like say like the crocodile. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of which rock bars you're you're playing on the tour. Well, what's the one? What's the one in in Boise? It's um, Neuralux. Neuralux. So I think that's a pretty good Olympic. example. So like those kind of places, they want to sell booze. Yeah. And they want to be open early through late. Yeah. And my argument and Barry's argument that we I think we're very much right with is that. People drinking from 8 to 11 is probably the same as people drinking from 11 to 2. Three hours is three hours of bar sales. I wholeheartedly agree with that. And when you're an older demographic, people, like we say, would like to go home to their babysitters. They'd like to come early. They'd like to go home early. I'd rather them drink in that 8 to 11 hour window than have it be like a 9 to 12 window where they're probably going to not drink too late because they have either somewhere to be in the morning or they just don't correct that's just not what they do anymore correct the problem is that when you eliminate opening acts you eliminate another hour worth of bar sales yep and when you the venues sometimes feel and i don't necessarily agree or like this theory but the venues feel that the later it gets the the exact opposite of what you said the more people drink that at 11 and 12 they sell because they loosen they loosen up and then they just yeah and then they're just buying things yeah and to me great good for your bar but it's not good for our show as a bar as a former bartender i can say it's just not true it'd be because people i don't agree either people are gonna drink what they're gonna drink you might have a couple of people that just go overboard sure or just buying you know i'm getting everybody around or something but i don't feel like that happens at carbon leaf shows no and so it just needs to be a bit um a bit longer in that uh, an opening act helps you know elongate the night for the bar sales we don't want carbon leaf to go on too late because they have an older crowd that would like to get home uh similarly you know i'd love to see us just do a solid like 90 plus minute set not necessarily stretch too long leave a little meat on the bone yeah make people want to come back for more that's also why i like a 30 minute opener yeah um yeah extending at the front end of the show exactly i think is always fine exactly always fine maybe people will show up a little later but it also helps with right. you know setting the tone of the night because yeah. if you have if you have an opener or something that is like energetic and gets people to want to drink and be and have a fun time i don't see any harm in that you right. know it's right. when it's when the opener starts at like eight right <laughs> and then you're well, not eight on eight is nine. a traditional time to me <laughs> An opener should be on at eight. Mm-hmm. The headliner should be on at nine. The yeah. show ends at ten thirty. Yeah. That to me is a pretty simple. Doors of seven. Show at eight. Handler headliner at nine. Um, and so you know we've been trying with Carbon Leaf to push the opener to seven thirty to have Carbon Leaf on closer to like eight fifteen. Yeah. But promoters don't really want the night to end at ten. They kind of want it to push to eleven. Yeah. Um, promoters want it to stay up until two a.m. And so you know that's kind of just trying to find the middle ground but to go back to your original question of um the planning i love the carbon leaf plans a year in advance the harder part is just simply that if you are confirmed to play in richmond and charlottesville and norfolk in march and june and september and december mm-hmm. you're not necessarily going to get invited back to festi in charlottesville right. you're not never going you know i've had this argument uh, with floyd fest for many years now you guys have never really been invited to floyd fest mm. which is a, a wonderful appropriate virginia festival but the floyd fest feels like you play richmond twice a year yeah. and charlottesville and <clears throat> norfolk I'm it's never ever going to book you. Oversaturating you s- the market. It's not even oversaturating. That's what you all do, and your fans yeah. love it. 
but they're not going to have you if you are doing that. They want you exclusively that to be their one and only play for the year. And so Barry and I have had lots of talks about that over the years and um, ultimately waiting until February to find out if you're going to get that July festival offer Mm -hmm. is not worth it necessarily versus knowing that we have four Virginia plays fully locked in for Saturday nights. Uh, things like the Birchmere probably would be an issue with you know some of those festivals. Yeah. Um, what so. makes what makes doing Forge Fest um, <clears throat> what makes that better or more effective for us than just doing our Maymont show in July? Well, when you put your own shows are generally <clears throat> going to be just your same fans year after year yeah. after year. Sometimes that will become diminishing returns as your fans get older. The the uh, contradiction there, or rather, you know, the encouragement there is for you to put out, constantly put out new music, new mm-hmm. videos. This is where content is so key. This is where social media and new social media is so key. As your fan base gets older, they're going to continue to come out less and less. Mm-hmm. So you need to win over new, younger fans with your new music. They need yep. to discover you for themselves on streaming services, on local radio, the new music, not necessarily the older music. And um, and that's how you win over new fans and develop new fans. If you're not doing that, festivals are really good to get in front of larger crowds and get in front of new people. Mm. Whether or not you convert those new people, it remains to be seen until yeah, you do the story. gig. And so that's kind of like the uh, the tricks and the pros and cons of of when you do a festival. A lot of bands just want to be on the poster. Yeah. They're a new band. They're like, I just want to be on the poster. The exposure looks great. But as you get to be an older band. Is the festival exposure really going to grow your base in that market that particular year? Is it really worthwhile to be on some random second stage slot at 2 or 3 or 4 p.m. as your play for the year? If being on the poster that year you feel is going to help propel and market a new album release and really help you set up to draw better the next year at Maymont, then it's worth thinking about and and taking that gig. So, like, hypothetically... If we had new music out to get the Floyd Festival, we would have to not play. If we don't play Maymont, would that still mean we don't play uh, the National at the end of the year? Well, so if you say we wanted to play Floyd Fest in 2021, yeah. and not saying that Floyd Fest is even offering, but say Floyd Fest, say that was a goal, we would have to say to Floyd Fest, we're not playing any of these other markets in 2021. We want just you as our big Virginia play. And we wouldn't play the Jefferson and we wouldn't play Maymont and we wouldn't play Elevation 27 or something in the spring. I wouldn't necessarily bring up Richmond because a festival is a summer play, but I would say uh, Richmond as well, like the December play would even still be the previous play, you know, because I would probably be pitching it come like September, October. And so I would say, like, there's nothing on the books for the next 12 months in Virginia. We really want this play. Then I would get an offer. Whether or not it would be the exact offer you want remains to be seen. Mm -hmm. Whether or not that translates something would remain to be seen as far as your fans. But that's kind of how you would get the base. And then uh, a national show could potentially still be booked, but not necessarily announced until, like, October. Which, again, kind of goes against a bit of 
Barry's liking to, you know, announce a good six months of touring in advance, which is great for the promotion of those venue shows, um, but makes it hard to land festivals six months down the line because they see you're in all these markets already. Yeah, it's like these these constant things that you have to balance out. Yeah, it's a balancing act. And so that's kind of, again, all comes to the strategy of cyclical album releases and in this day and age it's even more so about single releases not even albums you know your ep is a good thing yeah but to me bands that just put out a, I love bands that just put out a song every single month now forever yeah. and ever and comes with a video comes with a really cool lyric video or social video or something that's just content for the month it's and really, the next month put out another video and song it's pumping stuff out it's, well, remember, it's an old band we did that we tried to do release a song every month sure and it happened for about eight months right and then we we're like we're all dried up well, <laughs> but know? that's the thing is like it doesn't even always have to be new music it yeah. could be a cover song it could be a catalog song you guys in carbon leaf must have a hundred songs now of catalogs you know oh my god and more than that so uh there are loads and loads i know you filmed the jefferson show and so yeah. there will be live footage coming out wouldn't it be great to throw out, you know, a live video of the boxer or of what about everything or yep. a, the jam last night of, you know, of, uh, troubles, when all yeah. the bands came out in troubles and to have just a video of that come out on socials yeah. is great for a few weeks. You never know. Maybe it's some really incredible video that goes viral yeah. and an old song gets rediscovered. Maybe it's a video for a new song. Maybe it's a song you haven't even released yet and you're just putting out a live clip because it sounded so great in the show. Um, You know, there's all sorts of different things. Maybe it's just you guys doing an acoustic jam by the pool today that has nothing even to do with your set. But it's just you guys sitting around at at a table, you know, having a good time. It could be anything. But to me, it's that content that goes viral. It could be somebody getting engaged at your show or, you know, something that randomly goes viral and gets your song heard my son became a huge fan from the curious george soundtrack when he was you know three years old he was playing that song and that album all the time the video and uh i just remember life less ordinary over and over and over (laughs) again when he was like two three years old (laughs) and you know he didn't know anything he was two but i was like that's my band yeah that's awesome that's great and so but you know as people get older they start to develop uh, develop fan bases and friendships and fanships. I think that's probably how my wife discovered Carbon Leaf was mm. through my two year old seeing Curious George. So you know? crazy how it all works, and but and it won't work like that if you don't put the stuff out there. Yeah, and, and take advantage of the opportunities. To me, that's uh, some of the most frustrating stuff about my bands is that they don't put enough video yeah. content out. Uh, I tell the alternate routes, I would love to see a Carry Me Home video. I would love to see more Nothing More videos. Yeah, somewhere in America. Uh, somewhere in America. I made my own video for them that uh, really? Facebook-like police yelled at me. Really? Uh, well, I took all sorts of, you know, uh, political okay. gun violence yeah. photos yeah. and made a montage video of somewhere in america because eric wouldn't make one (laughs) which is eric's right you know to do what he needs to do with that song but i made one for them and i was just like if you're not gonna do it i'm gonna make this video yeah (laughs) i think i mean that's a special song it's special and it's it's hard yeah so special like after eric's podcast episode that we did it's so moving so moving and you know whoever's listening to this listens to that show you hear the story about his parents and stuff but like i like the approach 
I like the approach that like someone's going to get a call right. about something horrific right. that, that just happened. And it's like, I feel like a lot of people maybe can't relate to that level of horrificness. Sure. But some, anybody has received a phone call over sure. like a loved right. one passing away or, or whatever it is. And it's just like, it's so deep and heart, had heart to wrenching. Be, had to be so difficult to write that song. Yeah. But I wish they would it. make a video for that. I wish they would make more videos for a bunch of their songs because mm. I just think their songs are all hits. And if they're not breaking through on the radio, I still think a video would get shared mm-hmm. time and again. And yeah, I for feel sure. that way about all my bands, you know, that's yeah. why I represent y'all. I think you make great music and, yeah. um, I just wish, you know, everybody would continue to put out as much content as possible and you never know what's going to be the thing that catches. It could be the song you didn't think was a single, but was just a B-side yep. that totally catches fire. With Civil Twilight, it was uh, their six-and-a-half-minute song, Letters from the Sky, that became a top-five hit single that nobody thought was the single. It's but, crazy. Um, but it was the unique song that everybody started gravitating towards. And, you know, you never really know until you... Until you test it out. Until you trust, just put things out and yeah. put things out to the world, you know? That's the thing. It's like, that's a hard thing about music and knowing what is going to be the one sure that, and social media that for that matter it's hard yeah. to put things out in the world it's crazy because there's write, so much stuff out there yeah but. i write this holiday letter every like four years and i get like really self-conscious about it when i when i send oh, my I notes loved, i love that i sometimes that was I get, awesome for every like eight people who tell me they love it there's usually one person who looks at me and goes you're such a dork <laughs> <laughs> i remember getting the email and reading it and being like what is this yeah and then because i'd never gotten gotten anything like that before so i went down right i was like this is so cool it's like yeah i do it every few years and there's always one or two best friends or relatives like my brother will just call me be like you're such a loser (laughs) and so then i you know and then as i write it i love writing it and then i proofread it and and i write that sucker it's so long and i write it in probably like 15 minutes flat it just kind of flows out of me like a poem yeah and then i proofread it a few like a couple of times and then as i'm about to hit send my heart just starts beating like, really really fast because uh, it's like i'm airing it to the world like yeah. on social media in a way even though i'm really yeah. just emailing it but i email to you know a good bunch of bands and promoters and managers and family friends and it's probably good like you know 500 people that you send yeah. that i send that out to and it's, phone, it, it, and then it's I'm just vulnerability yeah, yeah, it's, it's very it's total vulnerability yeah and it's like i think it's great thanks that's all i'm gonna say thanks i think it's great well so you know i that's sort of that's me in a bit in a nutshell i'm always just uh I'm very heartfelt. I'm very passionate. People always tell me I'm very passionate about my yeah. my bands. Well, I think after I'm people listen honest. to this, they're they're going to realize that. I love them. I just you know, I often fight with my bands, much yeah. like your family members. Yeah. You get in healthy get in, relationships. There's fights. You know. Yeah, I get in fights with you know the you get in bigger fights with the people you love the most, and uh, and I get in a lot of fights with my bands, and I always feel really really bad about it after. But usually I'm fighting with them because I'm pushing them to do something yeah. so hard that I think they really should do for the good of them, yeah. even if they disagree. Yeah, it's always and, from a good place. Yeah, it's always from a good place. And so that's kind of, you know, like the pros and cons of being an independent agent is, uh, you know, I worked in the major agent system for 10 years and 
I used to have all these great bands with these big hit singles and you'd sit around the corporate room table and say like, I need a tour for this band. It's so hot. The song is doing so well. They're, you know, my favorite band on the roster right now. I really could use some help getting a tour for them this summer. Yeah. And I'd look at around the room at all these major agent friends of mine and, you know, they'd be making the buffet plate for lunch that we had catered in and not really paying attention or they'd be on their cell phones, you know, working on their own tours or They'd be pitching their own baby bands for their tours. And right. I found that if my band was really, really hot, agents from other agencies would give me tours just as soon as people within. Right. And so I found that it was just a matter of finding really, really good bands that yeah. tour well, that have real fans, that aren't looking to you for all the answers, that have good heads on their shoulders and have good creative skills and have good social skills and have great talent and have great records and then just trying to help them develop, believing in them, going the extra mile for them, constantly pitching them. Yeah. I often feel like I'm a broken record with a lot of my bands. I, it's really hard for me to turn off talking about music with people sometimes. That's why I you have, do it. I, it's why really, do it's hard. Do, I mean. I'm such like a constant, like, I don't want to say I'm a used car salesman, but I'm constantly <laughs> pitching my bands to every single person I meet all day long, whether they're in the music business or not. My wife uh, jokingly throws like a, a cane around me and pulls me out of the room. Like, and yeah, and you know, and she's, she's, uh, she's an administrative uh, nurse fellow at um, Vanderbilt and she's not in the music business at all but she knows so much about the music business yeah. and, and she knows so much about inner workings of people and so she's a really good psych psychologist with my problems sometimes with my bands and, yeah. and she's really good at you know just helping me read the room and saying like stop talking about your bands <laughs> don't want to talk about it right now I have some uh, loads and loads of musician friends in Nashville My one of my next door neighbors is a uh, is a lead singer in a famous band and, and you know and every time we're hanging out with him i just have to like constantly stop myself from talking about yeah. music or his band even yeah, yeah, you know yeah. we're just at dinner and just want to talk about families and work and and i have to try really hard not to just say like are you in the studio what are you working on yeah, are you yeah. writing with are you touring yeah you know have you seen this band you'd really like this band i work with yeah. you know and uh and you know it's that muscle yeah, I just can't help out. it sometimes. Yeah. And uh, I just constantly feel like I have to talk to everybody. I have to say goodbye and hello to everybody. And yeah. um, it's just my nature. Well, it, just feel, it feels like you do what you always wanted to do, which is cool. You probably, yeah. probably don't feel like you're at work. That's basically time. it. Yeah. I grew up in a family. Uh, my dad was a singer. Uh, my dad, My grandfather was a cantor. Uh, which is like uh, the singing form of a rabbi, kind of like mm -hmm. uh, the worship leader in church. Yeah, uh, that was my grandpa, and my uncle was in a band with my dad, and uh, my brother is a musical genius and can play anything by heart instantly. And, That's awesome. Um, I can sing pretty well. Yeah, <laughs> my kids, uh, you know, can sing, and so there's a good little bit of music in the family. But I was, you know, when I was growing up, I was good at math and. Um, everybody's like, you should be an engineer, you should be a doctor, yeah. you should be a mathematician. And and then I went to college and I was helping my stepdad and I was at a good school and my mom was like, you need to be a doctor or a lawyer. <laughs> Nothing else was going to work. And, yeah. and, uh, and, you know, I was studying to do all that and just miserable, hating my math classes. You know, math is fun when you're like really great at knowing how to say six times seven really fast. But yeah. when it's like, 
cosines and logarithms in college. It loses yeah. its excitement. It loses its luster. <laughs> yeah. It's, Shine wears away pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then like, you know, I was in pre-law classes where you have these stacks of books, like a thousand pages. And yeah. They're like, memorize this by tomorrow. And so to book Evan and Jaren for fun. And I was booking um, college concerts, you know, on campus. I remember I booked uh, uh, Hootie and the Blowfish and Dave Matthews band and Edwin McCain and all these cool bands I got to work with. And, and uh, I love this band called everything I used to book at college a uh, bunch. And, um, and Evan and Jaren would be like the opening act for the party every time. Yeah. And I would haggle with them. Like, I'm only going to give you 250 bucks. <laughs> And they're like, you're a really good haggler. You know, we're the ones who are drawing all the people to yeah. your parties every time. And the more we would haggle with each other, the more they were just like, try this, do it for fun. Fine, I'll give you 150. Yeah, and then <laughs> but then I did it for fun. And my senior year, I probably made like eight grand in commissions. Wow. You know, like when I was 21 years old and it's nothing like it's, you know, but at the same time, I was like, well, if I book like three more bands and I make 20 grand. Yeah, it's not nothing for, it's, for a 21. For a 21 year old, it's kind of like the same that all my friends that uh you know just graduated from the top school in the country and are gonna get some stupid 20 year 20 grand job being you know yeah. uh, a bookkeeper somewhere and yeah most people most people i talk to like friends of mine that you know when you're in high school and going into college you have this track everyone yeah. wants you to follow the track and you do this and then you get this and then this happens and then this happens and yeah it's like i just you know when you look out and you're like why why are we putting ourselves in right. these boxes? Why don't we just try to do the things we be, be while being financially responsible? Right. Uh, one, if you want to have families sure. and stuff, but like you gotta, I don't know. I forget where I was going. With That's this. actually become interesting to me over the years too. Like, so, you know, I'm, I was making 20 grand a year as a 21 year old, but as each of each year I would sign another group and, you know, whether it was working with Mark Cohn or Duncan Sheik or Will Hogue or, you know, these acts as they grew, the Cat Empire and Los Lonely Boys. And suddenly you pick up another five, ten grand a year in commissions. And yeah. I felt like I was growing at the same kind of pace as some of my other friends that were in jobs that they were not yeah. enjoying. And then as I hit my 30s and I had kids, it became a bit of another perspective. In my 20s, I would sign bands that I was just like, you're great. I'm going to work with you. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them would make $0 for five, 10 years straight. And I wouldn't drop them. And yeah. you know, I was very loyal to them. But as I hit my thirties and I had kids, it started to also, you know, other things become fun. We started to invest in a little bit of real estate. We bought a town host, a town home that we rented out. Uh, you know, we bought our first house and our apartment in New York city. And, um, I just started finding other ways of, also working with bands that were veterans that oh yeah you yeah. know i was proud to work with that made money and this is kind of where i was started to kind of wrap my head around the the world of just because you're not maybe going to be a million dollar band next week doesn't mean your band is history and that's right. where bands like carbon leaf came into my life and recently i started actually working with meatloaf who uh, really? <laughs> Meatloaf is is uh, an older uh, gentleman, and he doesn't tour as much anymore. But yeah. I work with his band, The Neverland Express, and okay. Caleb Johnson is an American Idol winner of mine, uh, who sings lead with Meatloaf's band, and Meatloaf endorses it as his official group and puts all the dates on his site. And wow, you know, and there's a lot of people who are like do oh, those guys tour tour quite a bit, you know, as that band without yeah, Meatloaf. They're doing great. Okay, and cool. so there are a lot of people who say like, oh, you know. 
why are you booking a tribute act? And yeah. I say, well, it's not really a tribute. It's like Queen with Adam Lambert. It's yeah. like Journey with uh, with a new guy they found in the Philippines. And, yeah. you know, this is the official band endorsed by the official singer as his official band yeah. with an American Idol winning lead singer. And they're doing great on the road for me. And it's feeding my kids. And I love the show. And just because it's not Billie Eilish doesn't mean it can't be a touring entity. Yeah. Um, there are, you know, that's sort of the way I feel about my idol winners. David Cook and Chris Allen are some of the most, and Nick Fradiani and Caleb. They're some of the most amazing talents. Their vocals yeah. are tremendous. It's unbelievable. They write great songs. David and Cook wrote a number one hit for David Nell. And Chris Allen has toured with like Maroon 5 and Keith Urban and Parachute. And uh, Parachute's another band actually just signed a week oh, ago. Nice. Um, but, you know, and Parachute's a great example. They were with William Morris for 10 years and have all these great hits. And now, you know, they still sell thousand tickets, but they are not necessarily the next big thing that's going to be an overnight smash tomorrow. Right. And they're like, we just want to keep working. We just want to find opportunities. And, and that's sort of the way it was with David and Chris, where they were, came to me saying, you know, when we first won American Idol, CAA would bring us $100,000 gigs. And it was amazing. But then a year or two later, and their two new winners were not even mentioned anymore. Right. And I don't know that, I don't want to say the CA never pitched them or mentioned them, but you start to fall farther down the food chain of a giant major yeah. agency and you need somebody who just cares to champion your name and yeah. state your name over and over and over again. And in that situation, the American Idol winners are just, you know, they were the hot thing and then the next thing comes out and it's yeah. like, and if you don't, if you weren't like a touring act completely before you know, with Nick as an example, he had a band and stuff. He knew kind of knew touring thing. He was writing his own stuff a lot of the time. But I feel like other people in that scenario have it a lot worse because they're not they're not used to the, like the business side and that they thought that it was always going to be like the end of American Idol. Exactly. And they're in for a really rude awakening if they're not exactly. prepared at, at when when and it they are. Up. They often I I try not to sign the random contestant that came in 16th place and doesn't have any teammates and doesn't have a record deal. Yeah. David and Chris each had multi-million selling singles, Live Like We're Dying and Light On and Come Back to Me. Yeah. Nick had The Beautiful Life. They had major label releases, major hits, and have real fans all over the world. But then stopped getting pitched for opportunities. And so... I got David and Chris both in the Epcot Eat to the Beat Festival. Yeah. I got Chris Allen last year on Bonnaroo, which to see an American Idol winner singing at Bonnaroo, I think is a feat in itself it's that I'm incredible. really proud of, you know? Yeah. I got Nick last year and this year he's touring in the lead role of a Bronx Tale. He's playing the Robert De Niro role uh, in a Bronx Tale, the musical, touring nationally. And it's one of my um, favorite movies. Yeah, and so, yeah, I love that movie. And so good. So, you know, like... When a Bronx Tale called me and said, you know, we have, we're looking for someone to play this Robert De Niro role, curious if any of your idol folks would fit the part, I, um, you know, quickly pitched Nick Fradiani. Yeah, just the guy. Yeah, and last year I almost got uh, one of my clients in Rent live on Broadway. Wow, and that's um, awesome. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm just constantly looking and digging for those opportunities, those special events, those corporate events, appearances. Uh, you know, I've had... Those guys at Christmas tree lightings in Rockefeller Center and the Macy's Parade or whatever. And, you know, I get different opportunities for artists that maybe they're not being pitched for anymore from major agency, but are yeah. still very viable to the yeah. people booking the event. Yeah. 
just somebody needs to be saying their name. Right. You know, when Bonnaroo said we're booking 15 singer-songwriters to do like Bluebird Round style gigs from the Nashville songwriter community, I went in hard and heavy and said, Chris Allen is an amazingly beautiful voiced, talented singer-songwriter. He would be so honored to be you know, able to appear in that yeah. event. He didn't get to play the main stage, you know, <clears throat> but he got to play Bonnaroo and it was really cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I find that it's just a matter of knocking down some of those little opportunities. Uh, there's an artist named Titor who I've loved and worked with for many years. He lives in the Faroe Islands off hmm. the coast of Norway and he plays opera houses and theaters throughout Europe. And here in America, you could just play like, you know, the Joe's pubs of the world, Largo yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but I pushed really hard. I got him on pilgrimage fest last year and, you know, it went pouring rain and he was, uh, he was the last artist. He played at four o'clock on the, on the tiny stage at pilgrimage. But, uh, then the rains came in and they canceled the rest of the festival. So oh. he headlined pilgrimage. <laughs> and so, you know, but it was, uh, you know, it's opportunity to make sure that people just have their names heard. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what's so great about here. The six man folks are take, take really good care of me that we get to have six bands on the boat. None of the six bands I have couldn't are necessarily like at the top of, uh, well, the ultra unlikely candidates are at the top of the chart right now, but, yeah, yeah. but when they were booked, you know, it was more a matter of good relationships, friendships, Andy and Andy, Andy Levine and Andy Kahn and Trey and Tanner and, They've all just been really, really good to me over the years. Rodney too, before he left, and yeah. um, you know, and the, and the bands are just super talented. That goes towards your fans, you know, the fans on the rock boat, all the same, voting you guys back in, requesting you, year after year. Yeah, that goes to something. Yeah, I think you guys said this was your ninth rock boat. I think it's the ninth. Yeah, which is amazing, you know, and. Every year when the offers come around, there's all of my bands we talk about, like, do they like us? Do they want us back? And, you know, we're not as cool as that band, maybe. But you guys have been here nine times yeah. now. You I know? feel like the Rock Boat booking thing is always kind of a mystery. Like, whoever shows up or whoever doesn't get on that you thought would have gotten on. Uh, gotten on sure. But like, it's, it's just an interesting thing, but it's... Six Man has so much cool stuff going There's on. So much. There's it, they, so many. They're cruises. so busy. <laughs> There's so many bands. To their credit, they want to change it up a little bit each year. Yeah. Um, it's important to change your, you know, to have a revolving cast. You, yeah. Your boat will not continue to sell out every year if you do the same right. things every year. Your show will not continue to sell. It's year just like year. having the diminishing turns with aging. Yeah, you have to change yeah. change yep. your show. You have to change your event. I often say a festival is like a mixtape. Mm. The promoter who created that festival gets to put whatever they want on the show. Yep. With many festivals nowadays, half the slots go to DJs. And so you already cut out half there. 10 slots go to local bands. 10 slots go to giant arena bands. And then there's like 20 slots left for a festival. And yeah. at the Rock Boat, there's very few. Yeah. And so, you know, it's hard. There are millions and millions of bands in the world. There are hundreds of agents now everybody's being pitched and hit up from all over. Yeah. And that is also why I go to a lot of these events to continue to just be grateful and thankful that they've included me, yeah. that they've included my clients. You know, as much as you want them to love you and love your band, I want them to just want to hook me up with what I'm pitching yeah. and, um, you know, and to just be a friend to them. Uh, they're really sweet, good people, and so I want to get to know them as people as much as business associates. Yeah, and um, 
And I think that that's sort of like to go back to the mixtape, people can put on whatever they want. It's their party. Yeah. You know, if you're throwing a party, you get to make the DJ mix yep. and you get to make the playlist. House and, rules. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like you can only do so much. And so as opposed to being disappointed when you don't get invited on, I like to remind you, you've been on this thing nine times already. Yeah. They love you. For sure. They really, really love you. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, you might not be on next year, but you're back again the year after that or yeah. the year after that. Yeah. Yeah, it's always so, it's always just such a treat to do it. It's you know? amazing because you get to like you know hang out in a room. It's an amazing it's event. Casino. <laughs> I love I love discovering little bits of the ship yeah. each time. I haven't been up to the Haven yet. I'm excited to go and how many check times out have, you been, have you been on the this boat? This is my fourth time. Your fourth I'm a fourth time. rock boater. Has I'm proud is your we've uh, actually been on three rock boats and one Kamo. Okay, cool, to be clear, nice. <laughs> Four six sixth man. Four six boat. man cruise. Um, yeah, my son's third and my daughter's second. How is it to have your your family on the boat? It's great. Yeah. I love when I can bring my family on trips. Um, I try. I can cover as many shows as I can, but it's really hard to be everywhere for everyone. I'm yeah. constantly feeling guilty when I have like sometimes I'll have four huge hometown shows on the same Saturday night and I have to pick a band. And I try and like spread out who I go to see throughout the year. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'll go see you in one market and the other in another market. But I get really I get both guilty feelings that I'm not with them. I get guilty feelings when I'm a, when I'm with them and away from my family. Yeah, yeah. I, um, it's just really hard. I have a whole lot of FOMO in my life. Yeah. I have constant fear of missing out on the party. Yeah. Uh, I get really stressed when I have a family event at the same time as a massive sold out show. Uh, I'm already stressing. I booked two shows in Nashville on May 15 um, for new clients that are coming to town. And it's my wife's grandmother's 100th birthday in Pittsburgh. Wow. And so, you know, four months from now, I'm already having like these yeah. little stressful palpitations over like, which one am I going to choose? <laughs> Where do I go? Do I have to go to another show to cover that artist? Yeah. And and you start looking around. Sometimes I that happens and I will then go to another show for that artist and then I'll realize that there was a completely different show I really wanted to go to. Right. So uh, like this past summer I was up uh, on the road with the family and uh, there was a massive Nashville festival. I had one of the headliners but uh, I was up in Pennsylvania and Carbon, um, Red, Wine and Blue were headlining the House of Blues in Cleveland. I never yeah. saw them in Cleveland. I was like 100 miles away. So at the last minute, I switched my life and I drove over to there. <laughs> and then I flew home and then flew back like to meet the family. And That's great. it's just constantly like trying to be everywhere for everyone can be really challenging it's but, difficult challenging but you all, you know i think it, you don't want to like upset anybody and yeah you know you want to be a part of all the things exactly and i love being with my family i love experiencing things with my family i get really sad when i'm at an incredible show and uh and i'm watching some amazing moment or i'm on a cruise and hanging out with everybody and uh and the wife and kids are back in nashville yeah that's a bummer to me and my wife has a very busy job now so she can't get to everything and so it's really nice when we could take some vacations together yeah our kids are at an age now where they can run the boat a little bit on yeah, their they own kind of be on their own yeah my son's got a cell phone now which doesn't work here but you know yeah. we went to we went to disney world um i went to the 
I had Chris, Alan, and Southern Avenue both in Disney World in October. And so we went as a family to see Southern Avenue. And then I went two weeks later because I have a, I have a Southwest Companion Pass, which gives okay. me a free ticket everywhere. Nice. And so I took my son and I went to the shows and I was like, go run amok in Disney World. Call me if you need anything, <laughs> yeah. you know? He had an all-access pass to Disney World to all the parks. And pretty great. I was like, I'm going to hang out with my band at the Epcot Eat to the Beat and you can go on all the Epcot rides you like and come back in two hours and call me if you need anything That's awesome. and check in and you know it's really great to be able to have his company and to go to things together and to go on roller coasters together yeah. and you know last night my daughter was in the silent disco at 1 a.m she's eight that years was old so funny when you guys <laughs> my showed up kids to the lounge. live for the silent disco <laughs> and uh you know they they were battling really hard through the carbon leaf tony luca need to breathe sets last night i bet jake yeah. actually loved the need to breathe set yeah um, i caught my wife I caught loved a bit of the need to breathe set it i caught a bit awesome. of it and it was they sounded great totally they sounded so good my daughter was crying hysterically saying rock music hurts her ears we went up to like the top to like and where she was happy as a clam and doing cartwheels up on the top deck you know while we could watch the show from up there and it was a little quieter yeah and then she was lying on her back at like 11.40, ready to like completely pass out on the deck. Yeah. And we kept saying like, go to bed. She's like, no, silent disco in 20 minutes. She's got the FOMO. And then we went down to silent disco and it was like lights on, like party, party yeah. time. And it's amazing how dancing. It's and amazing how a little silent disco will boost that It was energy. awesome. I love the silent disco. She got a shout out from the DJ. It's awesome. It was like, uh, he was like, my girl out there. He gave her a little <laughs> shout out. And then... Uh, and yeah, you know, at Electric Forest, we have a silent disco in the middle of the woods. So, you know, when everybody's like watching their bands and stuff, if I don't have a band playing and uh, I tend to sneak off and mm -hmm. grab a headphones, and go wander off and dance among the trees. Of course. Yeah. With whoever by myself, like a dancing little hippie. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I do quite enjoy a silent disco. We, nice. um, we, uh, I've actually rented a couple of, uh, we've rented headphones at home throwing a couple of silent disco parties that's great uh at home which is really really fun to that's do pretty great i had a silent disco party at my office once for about 25 people 30 <laughs> people came we just all night partying and we're up above the basement as our office it was uh it was actually i think around my birthday it was a birthday party and um there was a show at the basement down below you know some heavy metal show and we're upstairs like just dancing silent in silence <laughs> yeah but like people are stomping and you know, we have a balcony that's up above the basement. So random, there are a couple of like girlfriends of my wife who were, I remember standing outside on the deck and just rapping, you know, like flow rider at the top of their lungs <laughs> as people are walking up, uh, you know, to, to the basement and they see these two girls with headphones, so just yelling at them over the balcony, <laughs> rapping, and come on into the party. And that's the best part about signing with disco is like taking it off for totally, a second and hearing everyone screaming, hearing everybody singing. singing and like the, the, the stomping on the ground. It's incredible. It. It's it. so cool. I love it. How's carbon leaf going for you? You enjoying the road work? It's great. Yeah. I like it. It's, um, yeah, I can't complain. On a boat, just trying to get the songs to to be as good as possible. I'm really looking forward to the new um, the new record. Right? Have you gotten a chance to hear any of it? Yeah. Well, I I can certainly get to hear a lot of different bits at shows. Yeah. Um, well, the new the gathering two, gathering two, right? Yeah. So that'll be cool. Um, so just a couple ideas, mm -hmm. trying to push push some ideas Will on. You bring them. the baby on the boat in future years. I hope so. That'd be great. I mean, Mark um, McCullough put uh, 
brought his baby on the boat. Right. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to meeting them. Yeah, it's I great. Baby whisperer, they call me. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. You bring your babies to me, they don't cry. I don't know why. Oh, that's Everybody great. Everybody brings their crying babies to me and they stop crying. That it's, is a fantastic a gift. gift. It is a gift. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but we, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm bummed that Jen couldn't couldn't make the the boat, um, but she's just too pregnant. <laughs> right. I hear you. Um, but yeah, that's it. Do you have, uh, are there fun things that you're excited to see today? Are there things you're looking forward to in your year ahead? You know. Of the shows. It's been kind of a whirlwind, just, just, you know, getting ready for the baby and everything. But I always love to play Baltimore. Always love to play uh, Tally Ho, Leesburg, and Mm -hmm. all that stuff that's coming up. But then it's kind of a stretch of quiet, quiet couple of months. When is your baby due? April 6th. And then we have off a bit in those couple of months. Yes. I'm nervous. (laughs) I'm really nervous. It's a nice safety net we left you there. I don't think anybody told me about this before we booked the tour, just for the record. I think when you guys booked it, (laughs) because I told Barry, like, pretty soon after, just because I knew it was the end of the... We found out later in the year, and I knew that we book about a year ahead. So I was like, all right, I I have to tell Barry. Right. (laughs) So I was just like, all right... This is happening next year, so maybe don't book any shows right. around this time. And and it it there's a nice buffer there at, after the baby's born. But when my first son was born, um, well, I only have two kids and one's only one boy. <laughs> but when my son was born, we lived in New York, and uh, I was in love with this band from Australia called the Cat Empire that I worked with for many years, and they played the World Cafe uh, WXPN Fest. Yeah. Um, is that just in the venue in World Cafe Live? It's on the water. Carbon Leaf actually played before your time. Okay. It's on the waterfront in uh, New Jersey, Philadelphia border. And um, it was about two days before my wife's, it was about five days before my wife's due date. And it was in Philadelphia. And so I drove down there. It was a nerve wracking experience. Mm-hmm. You know, what if <laughs> she goes into labor today? It was fine. She came home. We went like two days later and then um, we were walking in Central Park one day and my wife says, I think today's the day we should, we're we going to go get induced and we're going to go up to yeah. Columbia University Hospital where she worked at the time. And um, the Cat Empire were finishing their tour. It was an international tour. They were doing really well and they were playing Central Park Summer Stage. And uh, that afternoon at like three o'clock, and it was 10 a.m. We're walking in Central Park and we go to the hospital and um, uh, my wife gets induced. And I looked at the doctor and said, like, when when do you think the baby's going to be here? He's like, oh, not before probably like midnight. <laughs> and I look at my wife. She's like, really? And so I was like, please. <laughs> Can we make and this happen So, now? no, she's in the hospital. And uh, it, being the wonderful husband I am, I ditched <laughs> and, <laughs> and went to my show in Central Park being the... The lover of my bands. I called my mom who lived on Long Island. She went and sat with my wife in the hospital. My mom and stepdad went to the hospital and hung out with my wife from, you know, like one to five. And uh, and I ran over to Central Park and watched my band play an amazing summer stage set. And then I got back to the hospital at five and my son didn't come out till 9 a.m. the next morning. Oh, of course. You know, yeah. but... Uh, Could went to another show. Yeah, right. But uh, it shows uh, where my... Uh, where my head is at sometimes between yeah. family and bands, <laughs> where I struggle to draw the line and why I really like them being here with me. Oh, man. Makes it a lot easier to not have to choose. Um, I struggle with a lot of shows that way at night. I, I constantly am 
going home from work, driving back to where we live in Franklin and mm-hmm. having dinner, putting the kids down. And then at like 10 PM when I'm lying in my bed with my eyes closed, opening my eyes and getting back in the car and going back down and catching a band yep. play at 10 30 or 11 o'clock. It's a part of life. And I love it. I love yeah. the music. I get a rush. I wake back up, you know, even last night I was lying in bed before need to breathe said, uh, we were, rallying to get back up and my yeah. wife's like you look tired i was like i am tired the first day is tough need to breathe and wake me back up silent yeah. disco wake me back up and yeah. you know i hung till a good 1 30 last night i was proud yeah and we lost an hour of and sleep. you lost an hour of sleep <laughs> <laughs> and then you were waiting at my door yeah but you know minutes. that's all right that's uh you know it's rock and roll and yeah that's that's what i love about this whole business i love people you know i love festivals i love staying up late into the night and i don't work with any really electronic madison house has a bunch of it okay i love going to those dj stages at three in the morning i love the silent disco at three in the morning i love you know just hanging out with the people in the uh at the campgrounds where like the random fans are cooking grilled yeah. cheese at three in the morning and talking to strangers and uh, you know i got lost in glastonbury once and doing that and uh <laughs> I just, you know, I love that. I, I make horrible jokes that one day I'm going to be the guy they find, like, not waking up in his car at Bonnaroo. Because <laughs> I, I, every year at Bonnaroo, I kind of, like, everybody camps and, and I soup up my car and I just, like, park yeah. it under a tree and I sleep in the car. And, That's what I would do. You know, party till, like, I cannot stand anymore at five in the morning. And then I go back and I fall asleep and I get back up at you know, a few it's hours awesome. later and we go back and start, start rocking all over again. Yeah. It's fun. I love it. I love it. I love the stories. Like it's horrible and morbid, but I love like the way uh, Colonel Bruce went out on stage. Oh and, yeah. In Athens. And you know, I think that's just sort of like sadly the way I'll go. <laughs> but just because I love music, I love festivals. I love seeing my bands all the time. And I have serious FOMO that yeah. I have to be at like every set for every show. And, <laughs> I take a lot of those uh, those red eyes back from shows at uh, like 1 a.m. from L.A. after oh, yeah. a show and, yep. and straight back to the office. John talks, about, do. John talks about that all the time, how he just wants to be super old. This is how he wants to go. He wants to be super old, walking onto a tour bus, saying to his bandmates, all right, guys, good night. See you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and just die in exactly. his bunk. <laughs> exactly. It's a little sad and morbid, but yeah. it, I... I also would rather that than just falling over in a, mm-hmm. you know, in the street one day. I'd rather fall. fall over at Bonnaroo. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> Electric forest or something like that would be a sad but fun way to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this took a random weird turn. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think this was great. We've, we've been we've been going for about an hour and 45 minutes. Wow, really? Yeah, it's been a long, it's been a long time. By. It was really good. I hope you cut some of that down. <laughs> Oh, I'll cut it out. <laughs> the um, Yeah, well, if there's anything I can ever do to ever talk to folks more. I yeah. actually really enjoy this stuff. I uh, I do get very self-conscious about what I say and who yeah. I'm saying things about. But I love this business. We're in rock and roll. We have really great times. We get to go to cruises and Disney World and festivals. And yep. Aspen Live conferences and the whole whole life is like a working vacation. It is pretty great. It <laughs> is a lot of work. People don't often realize how yeah. much work goes into the day. It is, you know, I work around the clock. I work from the moment I'm open up open up my eyes. I work when I'm in the bathroom in the middle of the night on yeah. my phone. I, you know, get into arguments with people in the middle of the night on my phone. And uh and I often like am working at two in the morning on the couch trying to you know 
book more deals and make sure everybody's tours are wrapped up. But I love it. I wouldn't trade it for anything else. I think we have an amazing opportunity to be in this business and you work work hard, great people. You work hard, you get to be on after the gig. Yeah, exactly. I just think, you know, working with great people and, and having a good time and doing fun podcasts like this. Yeah. Life could be worse, you know? It My be. kids get to go on fun vacations. There was a kid uh, who's here with the Unlikely Candidates. And, okay. and last night as he's going on, his uh, his mom's boyfriend is in the band. And, and he says to the kid, every time I'm not home, you know, because I'm stuck on the road, it's this guy's fault. <laughs> and I quickly looked at the kid and I said, and every time you get a free cruise to Belize, it's also it's my also fault. It's also this guy's fault. <laughs> <laughs> It's pretty good. And so yeah, you know, it's good times. We do our best. Yeah. We just it's rock and roll. It's music. I, I I love music. I love great talents. I love big performers. I love larger than life performers and energy and high energy shows and um just massive vocal talents. I'm a big fan of vocal power. Yeah. I'm a big fan of bass and drums. Is there karaoke on this boat? We gotta get you gotta I like... wish. I would love to do karaoke. I, I um... <laughs> what's your go what's your go to karaoke song? Uh, I picked up my wife singing "At This Moment" by Billy Vera and the Beaters oh. from Family Ties. That was one of uh, one of our first dates. I love Crooning. that. I do a really good uh, "Baby One More Time" by Britney Spears. Yep, sung sung in the Travis uh, is an English band I used to book when I was yep. at Pinnacle, and they did that cover in concert. Um, Fountains of Wayne used to cover that yep. song too, yep. and so I, I, I like that, that one. I do a really solid Footloose. And, uh, we got to set this up. This, I, mean, I, uh, I got to see I it. Like, yeah, it's, I, you know, there are only some songs. I can't go too high. I can't go too low. But uh, if it uh, if it hits the right moment. All right. All right. Keep in mind. Uh, I like live band karaoke. It's always a good time. Live band karaoke. I've only done it once. And it's, it was like yeah, super really, fun. really fun. Because it's a, you, you feel the like, drums. It's a lot more fun than like being yeah. on, by yourself on the it's stage. It's a lot less sterile. I like duets. I like when my wife is brave enough to do that with me. We do a really Cru- great you guys version are cruising? of um, She gets a little more shy. She won't get up with me. My daughter will often get up with me. Okay. And do we'll do we'll just sing in unison and do duets together. That's fun. Usually her song. She loves like Rainbow, um, Casey Musgraves. Yeah. I do a really good Rainbow Connection. Okay. And um, and my wife and I do a really good uh, uh, Somewhere Out There from. Is it American Tale, the cartoon? I always confuse. There are two cartoons about a mouse. I and, don't know. Um, I think it's an American tale. And the song is somewhere out there. Classic. You would know it from the eighties. <laughs> yeah, I'm, sure, I'm, sure I'm so terrible. It's funny being a musician. I'm like the worst at remembering song names and yeah, I'm just bad memory. But. I don't think there is uh, karaoke on the boat, sadly, but if you it's a guys, missed opportunity, if, when you're doing your, your friends, friendly jams yeah. or like the big cover song finale, uh, bring up in the audience singing and, um, you don't have to bring me up, but <laughs> but if you do, <laughs> I'll be prepared. I will be ready. <laughs> Thanks for doing this, Jordan. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, it was super fun. I really appreciate you having me. Thanks awesome. so much. Yeah. Thank you, Jordan, very much. That's my uh, conversation with Jordan Berger. Please, if, uh, if you are so inclined, check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash after the gig. Send me an email at after the gig pod at gmail.com. And I will see you on the road next week. Love ya! Love ya!